So during this last week, I've been teaching along with my good friend Jill Hyman a householder retreat on the subject of anger. And so a householder retreat is a retreat that's designed for people who have partners and dogs and cats and kids and houses and jobs. So what we've been doing is meeting every evening from 6.30 until 9, sitting some, and doing quite a bit of inquiry into our experiences around this very interesting state that we call anger. And then we go home to our dogs and cats and kids and partners and jobs, where, of course, often we get the laboratory part of the course because something happens, right? And even some what's happening is, of course, the retreat itself isn't quite what some of us wanted and so that brings up a little anger. It's really great. And one of the things that's been quite clear is we could have offered a six-month class (laughs) because there is no way that we're going to cover everything that needs to be covered about the subject of anger in six nights or five nights on a Saturday morning. So, I don't know, stay tuned. Somebody in the Tuesday group suggested we could have advanced anger next. (laughs) I don't know if I want to do that or not, but maybe we could just repeat it and people who wanted to look at it more could come for a second round. And it's been so clear that there are just lots of ways to think about anger and many, many, many strategies about how to work with it. So one of the things I want to say before I even launch into this tonight is that um, anything I say this evening, I completely invite you to check it out for yourself. Don't believe anything. This is actually one of the core instructions of the Buddha, is to check things out for yourself. So really, you know, you may hear something and you may think, is that really true? You know, or you might think, she's full of it, that's not true. But check it out for yourself. Investigating your own anger, trying out some of the different strategies maybe that you're going to hear about, and just seeing what you can learn, because that's actually what we need to do with something like that. Experiment and see what is true for you. I've noticed in some of these teachings, there's some that I really don't want to believe are true. I just don't want to believe it. And I don't want to find out that it's true. And then, of course, you try them on for yourself. And it's one of those moments, you know, damn, the Buddha was right one more time. So... If you have some resistance to it, it's probably a good idea to check it out for yourself. So I want to first speak some just about the emotion of anger. There isn't anybody in the room who doesn't get angry. Some people are more in touch with it than others, and some people are more comfortable with being angry. Some people are really afraid of being angry, but everybody gets angry. And there are situations where 
there is every good reason to be angry. You know, people are deeply wounded. There are people who are deeply wounded by their parents. There are people who are deeply wounded by partners. Um, there are children who suffer um, abuse and children sometimes who abuse their parents, and especially as parents get old. There are certainly uh, cultural groups who, who abuse each other. There's a great deal of wounding in our culture in all realms. So out of all that wounding, whether it be personal wounding or whether it be because of diversity or sexuality or gender, all of those many, many things that, that happen, that there's a lot of anger that comes up for people and that arises in the heart and the mind. Sometimes that's where we learn to hide it because it's dangerous. If you're a little kid in an abusive family, it's not smart to get pissed off at mom or dad because then you just get more abuse, right? So you learn to hide it and put it back in some closet. If you belong to a group in our culture who's disadvantaged, sometimes you hide your anger because that's how you take care of yourself and stay safe. And it's a, it can be a useful strategy when you're little. you know. And then as you mature and move into the adult world, um, it turns out that often that it's not so useful to not be in touch with our anger. And it, it can create difficulties in our own being. Sometimes it creates illness you know, in the body. Our body becomes ill. Or sometimes what happens is there's this abscess of anger sort of buried somewhere in the heart-mind complex. And then something happens that triggers it. And all of a sudden you explode with enormous anger that you didn't even know was there. And so it comes out kind of sideways or unexpectedly. And it, it can be very destructive when that happens. So this emotion is one that's very powerful. It's completely universal. And it's one that we need to study and to become really, really familiar with. And it's an emotion that it's a good idea um, to get familiar enough with so that you're not afraid of it anymore. So that when it's there, you're actually willing to look at it. And it's an emotion that is so powerful that um, it's important to get that familiar with it so that we don't do any harm out of that. So it's a, And it's an emotion that it, it's a, it arises out of actually a physiological response in the body to these difficult, wounding kinds of situations. So all of this is by way of saying there's no way that you're not going to have this emotion. And thinking that that's what you're supposed to do actually, I, might, I think I'll make an exception. I think if you get to the point where you're fully cooked you know, like enlightened, you might get to the point where you're so clear that nothing would create the emotion of anger. But let's assume 
we're not there yet. Okay? And let's assume probably most of us aren't going to get too close to being there for a while anyway. So this is an emotion that's going to be around for a while. And so um, it's really, really helpful to look at it. And, you know, some people do this in therapy. I think it's one of the ways that therapy actually really supports practice. When there's a huge well of anger, there's an enormous amount of wounding, that's when we really need to sit down with someone and take a look at it. And, and um, in a sense, you, you're draining the abscess of all of this woundedness, all of the yuck that kind of grows up around the woundedness, all of the infection, really. And, you know, householder retreats. Here we are, taking a week and, and really looking at, well, what, what do we do with this powerful emotion as part of our practice? And sometimes, also, I don't want to bow to a sitting retreat. You know, anybody who sat a long retreat, there are times when you go put your butt on the cushion, you're just at a silent retreat, right? You're just minding your own business, sitting and walking, hopefully getting quieter and quieter, and all of a sudden this wave of rage comes through. Some memory, some, something happens at the retreat, there's all kinds of things. And you're sitting there feeling like a volcano instead of being peaceful and quiet. And so that's also really a wonderful place, actually, to study and to explore your anger because it's very safe. You're sitting on the cushion and your deal with everyone is you're going to be quiet and you're not going to do anything. And so you really, really get to feel your anger in your body, in the heart and mind. What is this very, very powerful experience that affects every cell? And Marcy today in our Qigong class um, that happens before the sit, I recommend it to all of you, um, worked with us in working with that energy in the body and finding ways to to both experience it and then disperse it somewhat, discharge it a little bit. Okay, so there's that, that piece, really bowing to the importance of, of feeling it and being mindful of it and getting to know this experience of anger. I was mentioning to the group last night that one of Jack Cornfield's teachers had a very pithy little saying about our human experience, and he said, no self, no problem. And it's a, it's a teaching that I've carried around with me. It's one of those ones that you can kind of put in your par- pocket and feel every now and then. And so much of our anger, all of this anger that comes from wounding, comes from wounding and traumatic experiences. But there's another place where the habit of anger continues. And it kind of continues and it spreads. And it often, after a while, when we haven't really worked with our anger, anger can get triggered by a myriad of small events, you know. And all of us in the group have been noticing that, you know, the telemarketer that calls you know, in the middle of dinner. Or um, road rage has come up a lot, you know, the person who cuts you off or who is driving in a careless way or 
the child or the dog or the partner who won't do what you want them to do, right? And or even the weather, you know, where people have been noticing that they're kind of grumpy this week and this cold, gray weather, and that triggers a kind of an irritability and and an anger. So the Dalai Lama has been important to me, as many of you know, as one of my primary teachers over the years. And always when these conversations about learning how to be kind instead of angry and learning how to keep the heart open instead of closed and all of that, he's, he comes up, or at least he comes up for me, because he's such a model for someone who somehow, through enormous difficulty and enormous trauma, is, seems to be one of the happiest beings on the planet. You know, if you've ever heard him laugh, you will never forget it. You know, it's astounding to hear him laugh. He talks, and he means it, about his friends, the Chinese. And I also understand that he does that as a practice to remind him that these are his friends, even though they have caused so much suffering to his people. And this is a man who clearly has this huge, warm heart. You know, I think of his heart as being like a furnace of kindness and, and love. And when he teaches about developing kindness and compassion, he often reminds us that the central problem in, in not being able to do that is exactly the place where we hold on to a solid and separate sense of self, that place of I and me and mine, and that place where we don't see the interconnectedness of all things. And so he really stresses how incredibly interconnected everything is. You know, So it's that teaching, it's like here's this piece of paper, right? But this paper has trees, right? And it has rain, and it has earth, and it has the sun, and it has then the whole cosmos, and it has all of the people who are involved in manufacturing paper. And pretty soon, if you start carrying that out, you have pretty much everything there is in this one piece of paper, or in the bell, or in all of us sitting here. So he's really teaching us that there is no way that we can see ourselves as being separate. So then my kindness becomes your kindness and your anger becomes my anger and it all affects everything. There's no way that you can keep something private and just between the two of us because it doesn't exist that way. So, so it, it, when we begin to understand that, <coughs> there begins to be a real passion for, for wanting to do things carefully and well because if you don't, you're harming yourself as well as the other person, and quite literally. So we've spent a lot of time this week looking at how do we then work with this very, very powerful emotion? And one of the problems that very quickly emerged is the word anger itself is a problem. 
because we read, for example, a text from Shantideva, who was an 8th century Buddhist scholar, and in the very first sentence he says, you know, one moment of anger, and that's the word that was used in the translation that some of us had, eradicates an entire life of generosity and (laughs) practice. Well, you know, this is one of those statements that just makes your hair curl, right? And but it's it's and there if you go through the suttas you also discover many many passages if you just Google anger and access to insight which is a great source for Theravadan teachings you know lots of sutta passages that have that same really strong you know this is a problem the word dosa in Pali is the word that gets translated as anger often and it actually means hatred it means the kind of hatred where you really intend to hurt someone else. So it's very important to understand that when you read some of these really strong passages. He's not talking just about being grumpy. You haven't blown your entire practice life if you've gotten out of the wrong side of bed and been grumpy. It's not helpful, but it's not as um, strong and powerful an act, right? So... so, um, just beginning to be clear that that the word anger is one of these umbrella word, words that covers everything from the kind of hatred that is intentionally descri- destructive to irritability and grumpiness. And sometimes when we use the word, we use it kind of interchangeably for all of these states. So it is strong, isn't it? When we do something... Probably, we did a little poll one night in the group, and there wasn't anybody in the group who had never done something angry with the intent to hurt. I think probably everybody in this room has at some point said something or done something that you knew was going to hurt the person that was listening. If all you probably have to do is look at your relationship history, that's usually the place where it's happened, you know. And and so and you know, we all know then what happens when you do that, right? You do that and you can wipe out, you know, weeks, months, years of hard work on a relationship. You can really endanger it especially in intimate relationships because you really know where the other person's soft spots are, their vulnerable spots. And if you stick the knife in there, you are going to do great damage. And it may take weeks. It may take a lot of dollars for the therapist. There's a lot of things that happen when we do that act. So it is that powerful. We don't like to admit it, but it is. The catch about the lesser forms, the irritability, the grumpiness, the anger that just kind of erupts because one more time the telemarketers have invaded your household and your dinner or, or whatever it is, is that even if the intention to harm isn't there, it's careless, isn't it? We get careless when we get angry. And we don't think. And 
Sometimes we discover that we've harmed when we haven't intended to. But someone has been hurt. I've had that kind of feedback. I tend to be a kind of a grumpy person sometimes. I'm working on it, but I'm not finished. And I get the feedback every now and then that, oh, you know, you were grumpy, and someone who'd volunteered here at Vipassana Santa Cruz and worked really hard was really hurt. You know, that's not okay. It's not okay. It's something I need to work on. And I imagine I'm not the only person in the room who has that happen to them. That place where we're not paying attention, we snap back, or we growl, or we say some rude thing, and the person is hurt. It's also really important to say that we live in a really difficult world. We live in a world with a lot of things going on in it. I don't know whether it's really any worse than the world has ever been, but it sure seems that way, that are not okay. Things that are happening to groups of people, things that are happening to other countries, things that are happening in our own country, things that are happening to the environment. And so there's a really strong energy and passion that arises and a kind of anger (coughs) that says, no, you know, this is not okay. It's happening up at the university now, you know, with, with the protests about the expansion of the university and people who are concerned about the environment and the land and the trees and all of that, whether you agree with them or not, are taking a really strong stand, saying, no, this can't happen. And I think it's very important to understand that there is a strong, assertive, I think of it sometimes as ferocious kind of energy that is not the kind of anger we're talking about here, that's not destructive, and that is very, very important. It's that anger that protects you, protects your boundaries, protects those that are small and vulnerable that perhaps are in your care and that we need sometimes to give some voice to it and stop whatever it is that's happening. And that kind of strong no is a little, you know, it's one of those places where if you're not careful and you're not mindful, and there's any tendency to the kind of anger that's harmful, you can slide over into that, right? And all of a sudden, you're angry in a way that is not at all helpful and can really hurt someone. You know, there are all kinds of jokes, right, about peace demonstrators who are out there bashing the other people over the heads with their signs because they're and creating another war because they don't like the people who are you know, who are involved in the war, and then you have a war about the war. Um, So we've looked at a number of things as we've gone through the week. We've looked at all of the ways that anger grows out of not getting what you want and getting what you don't want, and, and again, seeing that place of desire and wanting as being so much a cause of the problem. We've been talking a lot about how working with anger and beginning to 
observe it and learn about it and practice with it is a training and that it's really, really helpful to start with the small things that irritate you rather than the biggest ones and use those small things, you know, the, the, the mosquito that bites you or the, the small thing that happens in the traffic as, as a place to practice so that you begin to find ways to work with anger and develop them before you get to the bigger places. One of the ones that's been quite interesting, this was again from the Shanti Deva text, was looking at a situation that is bringing up some anger in you and want, noticing whether or not it can be fixed. And if it can be fixed, why not just fix it? Why waste the time being angry? And if it can't be fixed, why be angry? Because there's nothing that you can do about it and you're just spinning in this negative emotion that may cause some harm. Why not think of something else to do? And it's been quite an interesting piece to carry around this week, and I've been asking myself when the irritability arises, I'm going, oh, I could just fix it. I could call the person or take care of this thing and fix it, and then I'm done. I don't have to be angry. And if I can't fix it, Maybe I can do something else with this energy in the mind and heart. And we've been looking at what happens when someone else angers you. You know, what happens when when someone insults you. There's a wonderful text in the suttas that we worked with last night where this angry man comes and curses the Buddha. I I hadn't actually known that there was a passage anywhere in the sutta about somebody getting really pissed off at the Buddha, but he really did. And the Buddha just stayed kind of calm, and and he said to him, you know, after he'd gone on for a while, he said, well, you know, if someone, if you offer a meal, and he gives a list of all these different kinds of foods, and the person doesn't take the meal, whose meal is it? And the man said, well, it would be my meal still. And the Buddha said, well, just so, I'm not participating in your anger. It's all yours. Very interesting, huh? Not easy. I think you have to be a Buddha, maybe, to do it. But very interesting to look at that and say, oh, is there a way sometimes when anger comes toward me that I don't? It's not mine. I don't have to step into that place. I don't have to then, because the Buddha goes on to say, if you respond with taunts and meanness and stuff, you're right in there with that person, right? And then you're just as angry and just as caught. One other thing. Anger, when it arises, it's the strong, powerful emotion that we all have and it arises out of conditions it arises out of the woundedness out of all of the things that have happened in your life and it's all come together and your partner says whatever he or she says and bam the anger is there right okay take a deep breath it's just a mind state 
It's just a mind state. It's a very powerful and important mind state, but it is just a mind state. And there is one way of working with anger where you, you don't say, I'm angry. You say, here is anger. And it's interesting. It's subtle. Maybe it's not so subtle, actually. But it's simple. And it's very powerful. Because you're realizing this is a mind state. Is this a mind state I should listen to? Or is it a mind state that I need to be really, really careful with? What do I do with this powerful state of anger? And then, if you notice that, you can go, oh, okay, what I need to do is this. I need to fix it. I need to take a strong stand. I need to leave the room and lock myself in the bathroom for a while until I cool down. Whatever it is that you need to do, you can then make a skillful choice around it and do. Pema Chudran has a wonderful set of CDs out now about working with difficulty and, and anger, and it's called Don't Bite the Hook. And just the title is enough, because that's such a powerful teaching, you know, don't bite the hook. Because the minute you bite the hook, it's much, much harder. Any of you who've tried to take a fish off a hook, you know, you know how hard that can be. And then lastly, you know, we can develop mind states that make it easier not to get so angry. And um, you can develop mind states that are just happier. You know, somebody came in, this copies the new issue of The Inquiring Mind that you can pick one up of over on the table. I brought it in here. has a really interesting article in here that says things that are negative and difficult, you take them in and remember them how many seconds? Immediately. Immediately. But the good things, the happy things, the kind things, 20 seconds? Mm-hmm. Yeah takes 20 seconds before they really are in there. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. You know, So we're loading up on all of the unhappiness all the time because we just take it in. You know, we're so porous. And we don't, we don't compensate for it. So all of these mind trainings about happiness and kindness and compassion are actually inviting you to take those 20 seconds to take it in. You know, so one, uh, Pema Chidron talks about what she calls her cheerfulness practice, which sounds kind of, you know, a little nicey-nice, but nonetheless, it's a great practice because you notice, you notice the things that make you happy in your day. And they don't have to be complicated. It might be your, I, I was think I think of my first cup of coffee in the morning, you know, that wonderful fragrance and the warmth and, you know, I want that before anything. You know, I'm just one of those people. And, and it might be your cup of tea or it might be your walk or it might be, you know, the feel of the blankies as you pull them up at night or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything special. But just taking the time to be happy about it because that begins to counter the place where we're sad and depressed and it's difficult. Meta practice, developing 
kindness, extending kindness around, compassion practices, all of those. The Buddha says, if you want to know how kind you have to be, there's a wonderful image in which he says, if you are attacked by bandits and they are sawing your limbs off one by one, you should not lose your metta even for a moment. You should not lose your kindness. Now that's, you might stop them. He doesn't say you, you have to put up with it. He just says you can't lose your kindness. That's quite a strong teaching. you know. So we have some training to do, some practice. I, I don't think I'd do that well with the bandits at this point. So, you know, we need to practice. In the teachings of Aikido, when the difficult energy comes toward you, the teaching is that you essentially expand into space so that you become very, very spacious. And as that energy comes towards you, then you respond to it in such a way that you and the opponent move into a safe place. Everyone is safe. It's a wonderful image for what we need to do with anger. We need to, when this emotion arises, whether it's in ourselves or in another person, to meet it in such a way that everything is moved into a safe place. So you see, six sessions is not enough and a Dharma talk length time is not enough and we've barely touched it and I've talked longer than I normally do. So let's maybe have a couple of questions and then we'll have announcements and things. So if there are any questions or comments, please, Carmen. Well, this, this is so appropriate. You've
So that seems really useful because, yeah, exactly. That you can then, you go, oh, the anger itself is not very helpful and could possibly be destructive. But seeing, oh, that's what I need to do. So that's the place where you see, oh, I can fix this. I mean, you can't necessarily stop the spraying, but you can do something about your feeling of powerlessness. And you can find places where you can stand with power and speak with power. And that seems really important. Yeah, useful. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do I see? Please, Michelle. Um, With regards to the the question, can this be fixed or not, Uh um, I've I've found that I've had to take that question a couple layers deeper, actually, Uh because much of, I think much of our anger comes from the fact that um, we have a certain view of how the world should be, you know, the world according to Michelle, and most of the time the world doesn't follow the world according to Michelle. I mean, imagine that. Not the world according to Mary Grace, you know, damn. Um, So... When, when there's something that I see myself getting angry about, and, and, and this is common, I hear kind of the same thing being reflected, that the world is not doing uh-huh. what she would like it to do. Um, I have to ask myself when I'm getting angry about something, okay, what is it really that's getting me angry? Yeah. Is it that yeah. they're spraying, or is it that people are apathetic, or is it you know, this person who rents a room in our house and, and, and all the things he does that, that bother me. Um, <laughs> or, um, you know, I have to really get to the root of what is it yeah. that's making me yeah. angry. Yeah. And then if I ask, well, can I fix it? Then I have to actually ask, well, what would that mean yeah. to fix yeah. it? Yeah. Because I can't change this person. Like you said, you can't probably can't stop the spraying. You can't change people from not caring. So, what would that mean mm-hmm. to fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but it might mean taking as strong a stand as you could in the hopes that they would not do the spraying. It might mean doing something that would be educative, or you know involving connecting to apathetic people so there there may be ways that you the fixing may not be um, ex- I think it's not a simplistic thing I think you're absolutely right that that um, the fixing may be oh there is something I can do or something that I can change that will shift my response to the situation yeah and then um, I think it's also helpful, as, as Axel mentioned, I think last night, to ask the question, who is getting angry? Yeah. Because oftentimes it's a way that we're trying to defend right. the territory or defend yeah. an identity. Yeah. And if we come down to this sense of this incredibly interdependent, there isn't any who to get angry, then what? That's interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Then, then the state's just there, and maybe... Um, if there isn't any anybody to defend, maybe it's not worth keeping it around. Very, it's very. It gets quite interesting. Yeah. Okay, we'll stop.
Um, I want to make a couple of announcements. And um, so, some of you, um, let's start. Let's start with the name tags and new people. We'll sort of do reverse order. So you'll notice that a number of people, including me, I haven't, didn't think I'd wear it now, but have these na- name tags that say, you know, who we are. And this is indicative that these are people who have some responsibility in this outfit and they know a thing or two. So if you're brand new and you have any questions at all, one easy way to locate somebody who might have an answer or who at very least would probably know where you could get the answer is to snag one of the people with the name tags. And any of you who would like to have a name tag especially if you come regularly. There's some blank ones over there, and we'd be happy to have you join us. It feels a little silly to be wearing them sometimes, and there's a lot of resistance to it, so you could, you could support us. So that said, is there anybody here tonight who's new who would be willing to introduce themselves? Wow. Okay, either you're unwilling or you've all been here, so. Ah, great. My name is Phil. I'm new to this this sitting. Great. Welcome. But not to some of the others? Right. We've been going to Sunday nights. Uh-huh. Great. Good. We're always happy when there's crossover from the Sunday night group, from the Dharma Punks group. Please. I have a question. Um, what time is it? 530. 5.30. 5.30. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Happens every week. Great preparation for sitting. So... I encourage you all to think about it and um, stay for both. There's even enough time for a quick snack in between 6.30 and 7 if you need it. Um, So that leads me to my other announcement, which is just, it really is exciting to think that we've been doing this for 18 years. Heidi's been around most of that time, I think. 17. 17. So... you know, it's it's very wonderful, and there's a lot going on. So there's this sitting. There's noontime sittings on Monday and Tuesday and 12.15 on Friday. There's a 7 a.m. sitting on Wednesdays for the truly intrepid who have enough energy to get up and get here at 7. And there's a couple of people who would love to have more company. So if you're an early bird, and Kelly's is right over there with good breakfast, so you can do that. Um, there is the Dharma Punks group at 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. Have I left anything out? Sunday morning. Sunday morning, yes, thank you. Sunday morning at 9.30. Every week now there's a sitting. And they have different, around the sitting, other things are happening sometimes, but the sitting is always there. So the first Sunday has the family program. The third Sunday, so that will be coming up soon, Carla is teaching a half-day shit every third Sunday. But you don't have to stay for the whole thing if you don't want to. You just come for the sitting, or you can come for the whole half-day. And the last Sunday of the month, um, each time we get there, or the fourth Sunday, we are offering refuges and precepts if, as in a formal way if you'd like to do that just as a, an honoring of your practice. So, And if you don't know what that's about, come and we'll teach you and tell you about it. So um, that's what's happening. Um, There are, other than the half-day set, I believe there are no day-longs this month. And the next day-long is on December 8th. 
and it's actually going to be taught by Bob Stahl at Tanpulu Kaba'ai Monastery in Boulder Creek, which is a Burmese monastery. So if you would like a quick trip to Burma that will be safe and will not cost you a lot of money, Sunday, December 8th is your ticket. And um, the other thing just to announce is that Thursday, December 6th, is when we're going to be doing our holiday potluck before the set. So if you would like to come and have dinner and... There will be no Qigong class that night, but we'll have candles and tablecloths and should be quite nice. Um, come and bring some vegetarian food to share. And usually we encourage people to bring their own plates and that sort of stuff. So, Anything else that needs to be announced that I've maybe forgotten? Ah, the calendar lady. Calendar lady. Um, something to take care of your hopelessness. Um, Tibet, our Tibetan cultivate sisters. your cheerful mind. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Tibetan nuns have escaped, of course, Tibet because they can't practice their religion there. They're mainly around Dharamsala in India with the Dalai Lama, though under all four lineages. Um, they are the future of Tibet because they teach the Tibetan culture to the people. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.